2nd of June 1953. Coronation Day, the day when the world watched as Queen Elizabeth was crowned. I'm sure it must have been a momentous day, a, a day of high emotion and great celebration. A day full of ceremony, pageantry and splendour, of, of pomp and circumstance, if that's your thing. And right at the heart of the coronation, something amazing happened. The moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland, now that's a pretty impressive job title, uh, approached the Queen presented her with a Bible, and then he spoke these words. Our gracious Queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, or princesses in this case, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. That's staggering, isn't it? We can barely imagine something like that happening today, given how far our country seems to have drifted from its Christian heritage. Our culture feels so secular that we can feel a little bit uncomfortable about religion having such a prominent place in a state occasion. But that's not what's most staggering. No, what, what is most staggering is the evaluation that the moderator gave about the Bible he was presenting to the Queen. The most valuable thing that this world affords. Really? Oh sure, the, the Bible's important and, and good and helpful. Of course the Bible's inspiring and beneficial and useful. But the most valuable thing that this world affords? Well maybe we're less convinced. But that assessment simply reflects the verdict the Bible gives about itself. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are much more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Psalm 19. The, the Bible itself pushes us to the conclusion that it is the most valuable thing that this world affords. Because God speaks to us here. God meets us here and communicates with us here. And in their best moments, the people of God have always echoed that assessment about God's word. Whether individuals like Mary Jones, who when she was 15, walked 26 miles through the Welsh countryside to get hold of a Welsh Bible. Or Henry Martin, who in, 19, uh, in 1805 left the comforts of this shores to go as a pioneer Bible translator to India. Or Martin Luther, who when he was on trial for his Protestant views, said, My conscience is captive to the word of God, and so he couldn't change his views. But this has also always been true of God's people as a whole. And that's what we see here in Nehemiah chapter 8. We see the people of Israel gathered in Jerusalem for a high and holy day, gathered to meet God in his words, to hear him speak and to respond. 
And this is the next stage in Nehemiah's renovation project. Rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem was the first job, but Nehemiah also needed to see the people of Israel revived. Just like how the walls of our houses are crucial, but it's what goes on inside. It's the family life within that's even more important. And gathering to humbly listen to God's law is how Israel will keep God at the centre. We saw that at the end of chapter 7, Israel is summoned to keep God at the centre. And what that means is a humble listening to God's word. And what we see modelled then, we can learn to reflect in our own lives today. Like Israel of old, we should want to keep God at the centre. And like Israel of old, this means hearing and responding to God's law, God's word, the Bible. That's because there's an intimate connection between God and his word. Just like the instructions of parents is deeply personal, so the instruction in the Bible from our Heavenly Father is deeply personal. Or just like the commands of a ruler reflect their authority, so the commands from the ruler of heaven in the Bible reflect his authority. This means that to reject God's word is actually to reject God himself. So to help us keep God at the centre, we need to see firstly, uh, think firstly about hearing God's law, and then responding to God's law. So firstly, hearing God's law. That's really the focus of verses 1 to 8 in Nehemiah chapter 8. There's a focus and emphasis on hearing God's law. Let's see a number of things about this hearing. Firstly, look at how focused Israel is to hear God's law in verses 1 to 3. The chapter opens with Israel gathering in the seventh month. And it's striking that we read that all the people came together as one. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. All the people are in this together. They undertake this course of action as one. They're united in this effort. And they want to hear God's law. It's they who tell Ezra to bring out and start reading from the book. They recognise that this book is what the Lord has commanded for Israel. Hence their focus to hear it. And this focus also extends to their concentration to hear God's law. Verse 3, we see Ezra read it aloud from daybreak till noon. This reading was at least six hours long. Uh, don't worry, I won't go on anywhere near as long as that. But Ezra read from the first five books of the Old Testament, maybe especially from Deuteronomy, over a sustained period of time. Now, that might not sound like our idea of a good time, but that just shows how far we're out of step with God's people. Notice that all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. They weren't bored. They were gripped. This shows us how focused Israel was to hear God's law. And if we want to keep God at the centre individually and together as KCC, we need to develop a similar focus in hearing God's law, the, his words. See, this really mattered to Old Testament Israel and it should matter to us. But honestly, this is tricky, though, isn't it? I often find myself reading verses like those in the Psalms we read earlier about how sweet and rich God's word is and sensing how far my own experience falls short of that. I wonder if that sounds familiar. Well, if it does, rather than beat ourselves up, let's confess that and pray for help from the Lord to learn to delight in his law to be focused on it. 
And one way we can see our heart changing is by seeing the beautiful promises offered to those who meditate on the law. We get some amazing promises of that in Psalm 1. Uh, Those who meditate on the law, we see there, are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So God in his grace offers us true stability, true security, true prosperity. All of which we deeply desire and many around us are desperately searching for. And we can find that as we meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. You might spend your work days trying to incentivize colleagues to do various tasks. Well, here is some divine incentivizing for us. So let the gracious gospel promises here win us and woo us and persuade us to adopt a similar focus as Israel in hearing God's law. But secondly, look at how respectful Israel is in hearing God's law. That's the focus in verses four to six. Notice where Ezra reads from verse four. Ezra stood on a high wooden platform. And then verse six, we see he's standing above the people. This position reflects the fact that God is above his people. His law stands over them. There's no doubt who has authority here, is there? And notice what the people do when Ezra starts reading verse 5. As he opened the book, the people all stood up. Just like we might stand up in the presence of royalty as a mock of respect. So the people of Israel stand up when God speaks because his word has royal authority. And notice how Ezra and the people respond to God as they read. Verse 6, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The people confess God's greatness. They acknowledge their dependence on him by lifting hands and their humility before him by bowing down and worshipping with their faces to the ground. This shows us how respectful Israel is in hearing God's law. Uh, And if we want to keep God at the centre individually and together as KCC... We need to develop a similar respect in hearing God's law, God's word. Now, we might not feel we need to stand when the Bible is read in church or to get down on our knees in our quiet times in the morning. Although I don't think those would be bad things to do from time to time. But however we do it, we need to ensure that we have a deep respect for God's law, God's word when he speaks to us. You pay attention to the voice on Google Maps when you're out needing directions because you respect it. It's kind of like that to an infinite degree with the Lord. But paying attention to his law is paying attention to him. And so to help us deepen our respect when we hear the Bible, we need to remember that when we hear the law, we're hearing from the creator, the Lord of time and eternity, our loving heavenly father who's committed to us. When we hear the law, we're letting God be God, letting him set the tone and the dynamics of our relationship, rather than us thinking that we set those things. When we hear the law, we're showing that we're creatures, covenant servants, children of God who gladly respect the greatness and goodness and grace and glory of our God. So let's pray with and for humility before the Lord each time we open the Bible. Remembering that we read in the presence of the Lord who is the great God. 
So humble your heart. Resist that human instinct ever since Genesis 3 to edit or, or tone down or evade what God clearly says. Stand up if you need to. Bow down if you need to. Whatever it looks like for you, we need to deepen our respect in hearing God's law, his words. Thirdly, look at how important it was for Israel to understand God's law. That's verses 7 through to 8. We see in verse 3 that the crowd that gathered consisted of the men, women and others who could understand. Most likely children who were able to grasp what was going on. And this emphasis on understanding carries through to explain the work of the Levites, the religious helpers of Old Testament Israel who appear in this chapter. Look at verse 7 and 8. We read there that the Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Maybe the Levites translated the Hebrew of the Old Testament into the Aramaic that the people might have spoken. Maybe the Levites went through the crowd like breaking people up into small groups so they could understand and press home to them what Ezra was reading so that people could grasp and understand what was being said. We don't really know, but but, but either way, the aim is clear, verse 8, that the people might understand what was being read. And in fact, it's this understanding that ultimately gives the people joy at the end of the celebration. Look at verse 12. All the people went away and we read they did so to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. This shows us how important it was for Israel to understand God's law. And if we want to keep God at the centre, individually and together as KCC, we need to develop a similar understanding in hearing God's law, his words. We should all be doing all we can to grow in our understanding of God's law. We can all read the Bible for ourselves. We have it in our homes, open to us in the languages that we often speak and are familiar with. We can read Christian books to help us. We can listen to reliable Christian podcasts. We can work to help our children understand the Bible. That's what we see here. And that's why teaching the Bible will always be at the heart of our church, youth and children's work. We're convinced the Bible says that they can understand God's word and they should be encouraged to understand God's word. But what's striking here is how the people benefit directly from the ministry of the Levites, explaining and helping them understand God's word. That's, after all, what what we pray will happen as different people preach in this church week by week. We pray they'll help us understand God's word. So what a great thing to be thinking about as we plan as a church to vote on appointing Adrian as our new full-time elder soon. Whatever sorts of natural assessments we might make about him, we're being pushed here, aren't we, to ask the ultimate question. Will he help us understand God's law, God's word through his ministry? And if he will, which as elders we're persuaded he will, that is a huge reason to call him. We shouldn't underestimate this focus. We shouldn't prioritise other things at its expense. We, We shouldn't get distracted away from this central idea of understanding God's words. Just like for Israel of old, it's important for us to develop our understanding in hearing God's law. 
these challenges come to us firstly what we see in this chapter from Israel hearing God's law hearing God's law with those three things respect understanding uh, and focus hearing God's law the second uh, thing this chapter has for us to help us keep God at the center is responding to God's law verse 9 through to 18 responding to God's law that's the focus as the chapter uh, turns uh, of on uh, it shows us Israel responding to God's law and Israel basically responds to God's law in two ways joy and obedience uh, let's think about each in turn firstly the response of joy verses 9 to 12 especially although initially the people weep when they hear the law verse 9 presumably because they're convicted of their sin and their rebellion uh, uh, nehemiah ezra and all the levites together urge a different response look at verse 9 this day we read there is holy to the lord your god do not mourn or weep or skipping on a bit they command go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared this day is holy to the lord do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And again on in verse 11. Be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. You see three times they insist that this is a holy day. A special day dedicated to focus on the Lord. And therefore not a time for grief but a, a time for joy. This day is more like a wedding than it is a funeral. You see, joy is right because the Lord has been faithful and has brought Israel back from exile despite their sin. And this joy would be Israel's strength. It would protect the people. Because if they were faithful to the Lord and joyful in him, uh, then they won't wander away. That's the logic of why the joy of the Lord is to be their strength. And this joy is meant to overflow to others so that as the families feasted, Rather than fasted, others would be drawn in too. Resources would be shared so that those who were unprepared or who had little could rejoice as well. Here we see Israel responding to God's law with great joy. The response of joy. And friends, we too can respond to God's law with joy today. See, as we read God's law, God's word, we learn, don't we, about his love and his faithfulness and his goodness. We learn that he's deeply committed to us. We learn that he's at work in our lives to make us like Jesus. We, we learn how to please him in a world that's confusing. We learn how God has done everything to save us through Jesus, to deal with our sin and to reconcile us to himself. No wonder as we hear the word we can respond to it with joy. Oh, we we may be convicted at times, but those are gracious moments where God draws us to himself, exposing our sin to teach us better ways so we might be joyful in him in the long run. I wonder what your overriding emotion you connect with your Bible reading is. Guilt? Pride? Insecurity? Wouldn't it be great if we could say it was joy? Well, friends, it can be. So pray for joy and meditate joyfully on what you're reading. Stand back and see God answer your prayers. We can pray to respond to God's law with joy. The response of joy. 
But secondly, in these final verses, we also see the response of obedience, verses 13 through to 18. You see, the sequel to the crowd gathering on day one of the festival is a smaller gathering on day two, comprising, verse 13, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites. These all gather round Ezra, the teacher of the law, and give attention to the words of the law. There's that idea of attention and focus again. And as they do so, what they discover was that the law spelt out how the people of Israel were to hold a festival, uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, that very month in the seventh month. The law outlined specifically how they were to do this. They were to cut down raw materials and make temporary shelters for the people to live in for seven days as a reminder of how their ancestors had lived in booths during their wanderings in the wilderness before God brought them into the promised land. Now, <laughs> this week-long compulsory camping trip uh, might be right up our street or it might be the very worst thing uh, we can imagine uh, but either way the people were obedient to what the law said verse 16 they went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters they were obedient to god's law and this obedience set this generation alongside the generation that had entered the land under joshua it put them in exalted company. It, it marked out this generation as those who'd come through a second exodus, who'd returned home from exile with a new interest in hearing and responding to the law. See, Israel responded to God's law with obedience. And friends, we too can respond to God's law with obedience today. We can respond to God's law with obedience when we read in that law of his commands for us to remember his grace in the past so that we trust him for the future. That, I think, really is what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about. It's looking back to the past to find strength for the present and the future. You see, time and again, God's law tells us to remember, to, to, to look back, to remember the position that we were once in. When we were lost and trapped in our sin and under God's judgment. To remember how we were unable to save ourselves. To recall that we were part of the problem and not part of the solution. To remember how Jesus has lived and died and risen for us. Coming from heaven to earth to suffer and to die and to pay for our sins. To recall and remember that our life is Christ. That our identity is bound up with Jesus. And to remember the promises that throw us forward to the great hope we have of a new heaven and a new earth, a, a share in God's new creation. And to recall and remember, as uh, John Newton put it in the great hymn of faith, that just as God's grace has brought us safe this far, so his grace will continue to bring us home. So you are called to remember, to find grace today in the actions of God in the past and as we respond to God's law with obedience as we remember we will glorify him we're, it that will do us spiritual good and that will help us keep following Jesus today we can respond to God's law with obedience with an obedient remembering of past grace for present need responding to God's law The most valuable thing that this world affords 
Well, that was the verdict of the moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland on Coronation Day in 1953. That was the verdict, albeit in different words, of Israel in Nehemiah 8. So what is your verdict today? You see, those who agree that the Bible is the most valuable thing that this world affords will commit to hearing God's law, giving it the focus and the respect and working at the understanding it demands. Those who agree that the Bible is the most valuable thing that this world affords will commit to responding to God's law with joy and obedience. Friends, you and I may never get to be royalty. We may never marry prince or princess charming. But we can be as privileged as royalty because we have the Bible in our hands today, just like our Queen on Coronation Day. So let's set our heart on hearing God's law. Let's set our heart on responding to God's law. Let's pick up and read the most valuable thing that this world affords. Why wouldn't we? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that your word is the most valuable thing that this world affords. Help us to believe that and in light of that, commit to hearing your law. Give us the focus to pay attention to it day by day. Give us the respect and reverence for you in the word, that we would bow before it as we bow before you in humility and faith. And give us, Father, the the commitment to work hard at understanding it ourselves to helping our families and our young people understand it as well as our neighbors who know nothing yet of christ help us to hear your law and help us just like israel of old then to respond to that hearing to respond to your word with joy father as we read your word would our joy in jesus grow day by day because that joy will be our strength And as we read, would you move us to obey, particularly to obey the command to recall, to remember your grace in the past so that we might find help and hope for today and for tomorrow. Father, how we need that. Thank you that we can find those things in your law. Give us faith, we pray, to hear and respond to your law, just like Israel of old, so that just as Israel was reformed and revived under Nehemiah, so you might work among us in similar ways today for your glory for our good and for the strengthening of the church at KCC, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.